Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Lucia Clementson of Lucia Clementson Performance Horses, as well as our newly owned boutique, Riata Rose. Now, throughout this episode, we will walk the journey with Lucia, how she got her start in eventing, moved on to cult starting, and is now pursuing rain cow horse work. Now, the biggest takeaway in this episode is that trauma does not have to directly happen to you for it to have an impact or leave a lasting impression. In this episode, Lucia will talk about the loss of one of her mentors. And through her horsemanship, she has learned to honor her late mentor. This episode is a reminder that trauma is relative. And for those closest to you who may have been affected by some major life event, whether directly or indirectly, may need somebody to reach out with a helping hand or maybe a call or text message to check in on them. Again, we hope you find value in the episode. We encourage you all to share Let Freedom Reign podcast with those closest to you. All the support on social media, the likes and shares and reposts and comments are amazing. This show is shaped up to be an incredible blessing to so many people. And with your participation and investment, the show will continue to grow. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Lucia Clementson. Lucia, good morning. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Doing very well. I want to thank you before we get rolling uh, for setting time aside in your busy schedule to, to come on the show and kind of share your experiences of the horse world and how the horse has benefited you in your life. Yes, thanks for having me on the show. Anytime, anytime. So you run your namesake horsemanship program. What's been new around the barn for you the last couple of weeks? Well, as of right now, I actually have a newborn son. He so you're is getting nothing done old. in the barn is what you're saying. <laughs> you know, I'm playing super mom right now. <laughs> you have to. You have I'm, to. Actually, I'm actually getting quite a bit done. I, I actually have five horses in training. And so I'm juggling that with him. And, uh, and actually I decided to start an online store as well, uh, just to kind of make up since I can't, you know, go out and ride 10, 12 horses a day now. And so I started an online boutique and, um, as far as, uh, today we're actually building fencing at our property. Um, and so we're just kind of, uh, making self-improvements at a ranch. I was to say, that could be a good or bad thing. Do you want to hurry up and get off the show so you can get back to building fence? Or do you want me to try to drag this out so you don't have to build fence and put it on other people? I have a babysitter right now. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, exciting times for everybody, it sounds like. You definitely have your hands full and raising young babies and, and raising a, a kind of a young horse business, huh? I know you've been in horses for a long while, and we'll get into your history here for the next few minutes, but life comes with plenty of challenges, you know, and it's how we kind of face those challenges and the perspective that we take that, that kind of measures the success, I guess. Yes, definitely. So let's get into a little bit about who you are and where you come from now. I know that horses weren't necessarily kind of the family business when you were growing up, but you you dove into this at a very, very early age and hit things hard for a long time. And so why don't we start with how how the horse first became in your life and, and we'll see where the conversation goes from there. Sure, sure. 
Yeah. So uh, ever since I was very little, I've always wanted to be around horses. Always. I, I can't remember a time that I didn't want to be around horses. Um, yeah, my my family, they're they're more city folk people. And so um, I didn't have a whole lot of outside influence that encouraged me to go a particular direction. All I knew is I just wanted to uh, ride horses and just kind of see where it takes me. And so I, I, uh, I started riding when I was eight years old. And uh, my first horse was an Arabian. But it wasn't a hot one. It was actually kind of one that was a little bit, she was a little resistant and didn't really like to go. And so um, she tossed me quite a few different times. And I remember one particular time I was trying to get her to trot. I was scared to death to do it, but I just wanted, I just wanted to uh, just continue learning. And she bucked and she tossed me right over her ears. And finally, my parents decided that, well, this isn't going well. Maybe we should get you into some riding lessons. <laughs> so, I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so I started uh, taking riding lessons and, and that horse was not a good fit. And so they matched me up with the right quarter horse. And so I officially didn't start taking riding lessons and seriously getting involved till I was 10 years old and started, um, uh, participating in 4-H and competing at 4-H shows. And as I continued, it only took me two years. So by the time I was 12 years old, I actually had won high points uh, in 4-H for the year. Uh, so basically, I, I was able to have a successful enough year as a kid at that time. And that was a huge accomplishment for me. And it's like I kind of got a sense of accomplishment from that and I'm never satisfied with with just that I just want more and at the time I remember in 4-H they decided that they're going to introduce jumping to the to uh, the whole list of classes and at the time I only rode hunt seat and then I just rode in a bunch of pleasure classes just western pleasure and trail class and such and I wanted to continue getting high points. <laughs> so I decided to take on jumping. Little did I know that I um, enjoyed it. And I actually got to the point where I left 4-H altogether and started eventing. And I, started, and I learned how to event in, um, in Spokane. And that kind of continued to lead on into bigger things. And then I finally got to the point where I was able to work with a trainer that went to the Olympics twice. And in my high school days, my parents took me over there when during spring break, every summer break, I was I was at that barn learning on the weekends. I was there. And if I wasn't there, then I was competing at some event or something with horses. And so I was very, very lucky at the time to learn classical riding at a young age. I really learned some of the higher level stuff at a young age. After I had evented for so long, I went into college. And by that point, I ran out of money. And so I couldn't live in Seattle anymore with my trainer. And so I ended up moving back home to Moses Lake. And I still wanted to um, ride. 
and I was going to college, but even though I was in college, my mind was not there. All I could think of is I just want to train horses. I just, that's just what I want to do. Kind of why, why am I here? And, and so I ended up uh, starting my business here in Moses Lake. And basically the only horses that I would, was able to kind of pick up was Colt starts. Well, the thing is, is I kind of grew up getting all these riding lessons and learning how to event and such. So I felt like I had more of more of the refined movements taken care of, but my foundation absolutely sucked. I got hurt a lot that first year. (laughs) (laughs) The bumps, the bumps and bruises of learning, right? Yes. I didn't know anything about groundwork. I really didn't. I thought I did at the time, but after I I had a horse run through a a fence and it wasn't any fence, it was that white electrical tape. And that tape was strung across my neck and jumped over a ditch and across the road. And I finally, I bailed off. And I mean, I'm lucky that I wasn't seriously injured from that. And I realized I I have to really rethink what's going on here. (laughs) It's funny how life, life will put things in perspective when they need to, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and so, um, yeah, so after that, I I really started to branch out and kind of search for um, just bettering myself. And I came across Buck Brandman and I, I didn't have enough money to go to one of his to to ride in one of his clinics. And so basically I just would watch as many videos just online that I could get for free and just um and just start thinking about it. And that's a big thing is just when when it comes to groundwork and such is just um you have to kind of just be out there and just practice it for yourself. And as I continue to grow, my business started to take off. And then I decided in 2015, the end of 2015, after training for uh, for a few years, that I was going to sign up for a cult starting competition in Spokane. And I thought, okay, this would be kind of interesting. I get, um, you know, two hours the first day, two hours the second day, and ride it through an obstacle course, you know. Yeah, what, what bad could come from that, right? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that horse! Yeah, and so in that competition, uh, luckily I had a very strong background in eventing, right? And so you could kind of stick with a horse as far as like little jumps. Well, that horse, he he stuck his head between his knees and he showed me a, a different side to him real fast. He was really sleepy at first, and he woke up. Introduced to the rodeo <laughs> world. Yeah, and I rode him through it, and anyways, I ended up winning that that uh, competition. My first one right out of the gate, and my friends were like, you know, we knew you were going to do all right, but we didn't think you were going to win it, and I kind of, and I thought, you know what, that was a really good challenge for me, and I learned a lot from that challenge in particular, and my mistakes since everything was kind of fast forward, you, you, you know, you only had mm-hmm. so much time to do that. So I thought, well, you know what, maybe I'll go ahead and I'll sign up for these competitions the following year and see where that takes me. So I've talked about it previously on the show in regards to cult starting competitions and some of the the cult starters that have been on the show. 
Uh-huh. And this is not to talk bad about these cult starting competitions in any way, shape, or form. I just think we have to keep things in perspective because you have to work under a very expedient timeline, right? And sometimes in these competitions, you're not afforded the time to really settle a horse in and really kind of drive points home. And as you saw right in your experience, when things get rushed, you can take some very, very effective techniques, but things start to unravel pretty quick because you don't have the time or you're not allowed to make that effort. Can't say not allowed, that'd be a poor choice of words. The time does not allow you the the chance to put forth a good start on the horse. Yes, but also it can be determined by that that person as well. Mm-hmm. So even though the competition kind of has these different outlines, with that whole with the whole competition side of things, um, you know, the following year I ended up competing in nine competitions in 2016. And I was actually the first woman to qualify for finals. And I went and I was able to compete also at the uh, Colt Starring Finals in Vegas that December. With that whole experience, as I, kind of, as I continued competing in these competitions, I kind of realized that it wasn't really for me. I, I signed up for it because I thought that was a good challenge for me. But then as time went on, I realized that that just wasn't, it just wasn't for me because mm-hmm. a horse, basically it kind of proves that a horse is, is very, um, tolerant. He's very tolerant and he could, a horse could, could take on a lot. He could, he really can, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we should take him to that level. And the thing is, though, too, in the in the competition, especially the last one that I competed in in Vegas, uh, I I had to scratch my horse from the event. There was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to ride that horse through an obstacle course. She would have broke my neck before I got there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anybody who witnessed that event, they knew. But you know what? I still was able to try to get try to patch up as much groundwork as I can with that horse and was able to to have a small ride under saddle just to just to show that even a horse at that point even though she wasn't ready how much she allowed me to get to that level with her absolutely yeah and so it was definitely it was an interesting experience and I've had so many people reach me and ask me, well, what do you think about the, that sort of format? And, and I tell them I, I would never, I would never do it again myself, but you know what? I had to go through that experience to be able to sit here and, and tell you just what I learned from it. And I could definitely say that from the, from those competitions, I, it's given me a good reputation for my groundwork because ever since then, I've had some difficult horses arrive at my place to be started under saddle. And I feel like I, by breaking down those steps in my groundwork was maybe the only thing that really helped those horses start to kind of see a different side of the human from that point. Yeah. And with these cult starting um, competitions and uh, I personally have never competed in one, so I can't speak a lot of it, but in my opinion, just you know, being on the outside looking in with it, with the very few amount of hours that you get to spend with a horse, 
you got to be really, 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 really efficient with your technique and your time, you know, and it's, it's elite level of horsemen that compete in those, those competitions and can get things done in that short amount of time and still be successful with the horse. You know, it's definitely not, yes. not for everybody and, and to each their own, you know? Yes. I think the biggest thing I, I, uh, caught on from, from these competitions is that that first impression is everything. I know from watching other trainers, they, you know, maybe they, they'd approach, walk into the round pen and they just want to send their horse off. And the first thing that I, that I would do with each one of these horses is I just get my hands all over them and just, you know, and working on, um, getting them comfortable with me, just rubbing their belly and having them learning how to bend side to side and, and kind of get that impression of me before I start trying to send them off or doing anything Ask else. Ask anything so of I, them, yeah. So I establish a little bit of trust, some trust going on there. And yeah, yeah that, that was, I think, a, the biggest thing I took from that because, you know, at home, if that doesn't get established and if, if that mistake is made, you still have every day to work on that versus in a competition. If you didn't catch on to that right away, you may have, you just lost it mm-hmm. and you may not be able to regain that back in that short, uh, short amount of time. And and so I, I've learned some, I've learned how to read a horse very, a lot better in those competitions. And that's, sure. a, that's a tough part about a lot of this horsemanship stuff too, is that it's, it's awareness, right? And so much of yeah. it we've talked about previously, so much of it is feeling. So how do you teach awareness? How do you teach feeling? Well, sometimes it's just that, right? It's experience, good or bad, that that puts those elements of your toolkit together, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't read it in a book, right? You can try to convey yep. it through demonstration and through video, but but it's difficult, right? It It, it is a challenge. Yeah, and it's one of those things where the horse doesn't know, you know, the right thing or the wrong thing. It's it's whether you, as the leader, determines which is right and wrong. But the thing is, is I, when working with horses, I really believe that that you first start off with how you approach a horse is is um, even if you make a thousand mistakes with that animal. As long as you're good in your heart, you're always going to come out on top. I think that's really where it starts off. Yeah, yeah. And, and the horse knows that. He, he could feel that. So in your experience working with horses and, and some of this cult starting stuff, where have you seen improvements in in your personal life or maybe the lives of some of your, your clients, you know, because uh, we talk about so often on the show, you know, uh, a horse can help teach a patient and it's applicable in A, B, C, D elements, you know, but I... I like to get a feel for everybody's experience because there are so many people involved in this industry and we only have so much time on this earth, you know, so what lessons, what lessons in that regard have you seen, seen taught by the horse? For me personally, uh, confidence, confidence is a real, is a big one. For some reason, I, I was very, I was a very, very shy kid and I feel like the horse has a certain, um, calmness and patience to him that that I think is what I how how I was just drawn to the horse in general and with that confidence it's been able to branch out and how I even deal with uh, 
any sort of obstacle or situation that comes my way in life, I think is, is what I've learned. And that's tough to deal with, right? Because from the confidence standpoint, because you don't know how your experience balances against anybody else, right? And, and I think about it in my journey, I, I, I know a fraction of what I think a proficient horseman needs to know, right? And mm-hmm. I will live and die on this earth and probably never figure out a horse in its entirety. There's just that much to it. When you start to get into these higher levels of horsemanship and and the greatest blessing in all this is once I you go to these clinics and and you ride with some of these these elite horsemen and some of these people that are deemed the best in the in the industry. And when you ride in circles like that and groups of people that are of that like mind, you start to see like, wow, I need to be this much better in this regard, or wow, they do this so much better than I do. And and you take that lesson learned. But then when you take that experience back into the quote unquote common world, right, you see that some of this stuff in in the world of horsemanship is not necessarily as common as we think it is. Mm-hmm. And, and there's I feel the responsibility to try to help kind of raise that common level of horsemanship and raise it amongst people because, and this is no fault to anybody that has been a mentor, right? We all start out finding a mentor, finding somebody that we think is an expert or knows more than us. And and I don't think people are genuinely bad in that regard and passing on their information, but you start to see very quickly that not everybody cares to learn the horses as much as you think they should, or some people mm-hmm. see it as a tool, or some people see it as a pet, and and I guess legacy is a big deal, right, in, in trying to just improve in generations coming up behind us. Yes, yes. So in your experience, you know, you, you kind of alluded to your, I guess, training under Buck, who has been kind of influential in... in in your experience, going from so much focus on competition to now placing a lot of the emphasis on horsemanship and how you can apply it to different different levels of competition or different disciplines in, within the horse world. I think the most inf- influential person um, actually that I'm working with right now is Annette Coker. And she uh, she's actually in the Buck documentary. Um, she's the gal that was riding a full and half Arabian show horses and such. And so she kind of, I could relate to her because I had kind of a similar background. And then she kind of went back and basically kind of filled in those little holes in her horsemanship. And right now, like what I, Annette and I talk all the time on the phone. And I actually, I have her coming up to my facility in a month and I actually finally get a meter in person for the first time. That's <laughs> and cool. She's having a cow. Her, her, and Kevin Meyer are coming up here for a cow clinic. And um, what I like about what she has to say is that we'll talk about the natural horsemanship stuff, and I may talk about my past and eventing. I'll be like, well, you know, I kind of like I'm ashamed of it because maybe I was pushing my horse a little too much, or or so on. And she's like, Lucia, don't, don't let that, don't let your past experiences be a burden to you. That was a, that was something good that you need in your horsemanship. And she's really um, helped me in, in saying that 
perform the performance side of things and the natural horsemanship side of things, they all go together. They really do. There's not, there isn't not one side. There's not one good way and one bad way. And so I feel like she's really helped me in kind of locking the two together to making this whole picture. And also too, with just some of my experiences that I've had, it's just that she's the one in the almost in the back of my mind that's always keep whispering to me, tell me, don't weaken. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's true. So much of this is resilience, right? Oh, 100%. I I can relate to you in that regard because in in my experience, I wanted to when I got back into horses, I wanted nothing more than to team rope and the competition of that and the speed of it and the the precision, right? And all of that. But you start to ride some of these rope horses and you realize that, and this is no knock to anybody, but they're viewed as a, as a tool and not so much emphasis is placed on horsemanship. You know, they, they train a horse for a skill and that's all that they give them. And when that horse is in that element, they're just lights out. But when you start mm-hmm. to remove them from their element, they completely fall apart. Or when you ask them of other things other than a specific task, uh, you see that the horse isn't as balanced as it should should be. And for mm-hmm. me and my pursuit and this passion of horsemanship is just that. Like, how do you create this balanced horse respectfully and tactfully? And yet you can push these horses to a level that they probably wouldn't have been pushed before when you're in this fight of training rather than, than horsemanship and working with the animal to develop a team. Right. That that both both ends both sides of the spectrum could all be integrated together exactly. to make the whole picture exactly. And it's a huge disparity we talked about earlier. You know, there's there's becoming more and more of an emphasis on the right foundation of horses, right? In their start, getting them, getting them started on the right foot, building confidence, building competency. But then when a lot of these horses end up in performance disciplines, we we lose a huge chunk of the training phase because they go from, hey, let's get a good start on them to, hey, we got to put so much pressure on them because if they're not ready by two or three, they're done, you know? And yes. and yes. it causes so many problems for these horses when they get to eight, nine, and 10, when they should really be in their prime. Yes, most definitely. But the nice thing is it's it's, it's definitely coming around because oh, in the last couple, of, last couple of years, I've actually been traveling to the West Side um, back to these eventing barns, because I don't, I don't event anymore. I, I've kind of gone into riding ranch horses and getting into riding cow horses. But I go over to the west side, and I teach eventers how to do groundwork with their horses. And that never happened when I was a kid. We never, the the extent of groundwork. Yeah, the extent of my groundwork as a kid was you lunge your horse till he has a light sweat on his neck. He might ride, you know, trot around in side reins and then you get on and you and you pray that you stay on if he's still a little bit fresh. That was <laughs> that in the story. That was it um. when I was a when I was a teenager in these in these eventing barns. And so when a couple of years ago as I started getting uh, phone calls, hey and and the thing is, it's nice is they call me because they these people know my background, so they they feel that they can kind of trust me a little bit more, and I'm not totally gonna come and be, I guess, what they would call cowboy horse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That I yeah, have that yeah. experience to show. Hey, you know, there there is a better side to that, and so 
And the only reason why I got these phone calls, too, is kind of from my experience from these cold starring challenges. And so it was kind of like whether so everything kind of in life, it's this one stepping stone that kind of leads you on to the next one. It is. It's chain reaction. And and uh, that's the beauty of it is it just there's so much to learn. And when you think you got something figured out, there's 150 things right behind it. <laughs> exactly. Good stuff. So I do want to kind of go back into your history and your statement, or excuse me, your story a little bit. Uh-huh. There was another mentor, and we briefly talked about Cindy. Let's let's talk about her influence in in really laying a good foundation and, and kind of some of the some of the early patterns of your development, you know, and, and what you learned from Cindy. So Cindy was basically my early role model. And I wouldn't say that I learned anything in particular about about writing in general, but just how she treated people, I think that was the um, probably the the biggest thing that I really grasped to that still kind of keeps coming back into my program, essentially, that because, I mean, I knew nothing about jumping and I when I first met Cindy, I sucked. Big time. I mean, when, wow, you're so kind you to yourself. <laughs> I could laugh about it. It's all <laughs> you got to have humor in your life. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And so, I mean, every time that I would land off of a fence, I didn't have a lower leg to save my life. So I basically would land and I'd face plant. Like my face would darn near smack the horse's neck and then I'd pop my head back up and right I was back ready in for it. the next yeah. fence. That was me when I met Cindy. <laughs> so I didn't have a whole lot coming from her. And I remember one particular um, day we were working and it was the early stages. And she said, you know, Lucia, you sit real pretty on a horse, but you're not effective for shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh. And that, and that, that conversation still sticks with me to this day. And I, and I remember, I mean, I was only like a 14 year old kid and I was really offended by that. I was like, what? You know, I thought, what I do kinda, you mean I'm not good? Had Everybody had butts and horse, right? <laughs> and so that really stuck with me. And I think, uh, and just the way that Cindy treated people, I mean, you could, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, or because I mean, all different. There's a lot of different people that that event. Some of them they they could afford to do it, and others they just make it work. Yeah. And with Cindy, she just really treated you as like that person, and so I feel like that that was like just basically uh, the biggest thing that I think has really um, is just part of like my DNA now. And working with horses and working with people. And I feel like um, the way she treated others, that's just that's just how, how I feel I need to be with horses and with people. And, and it really started to come out because after Cindy had passed away from her accident and years later, towards the end of my eventing career... One of my, actually one of my last major events, I uh, traveled to California and it was a real big, real big event. It was extremely stressful. I don't think I've ever been so stressed out in my life. (laughs) And 
I was just, and because of that stress, it definitely affected my horse. And I ended up having to retire my horse early um, in the cross country. He just was not jumping in, in that well. We were, we were missing our takeoff points, basically, of where you need to go over a fence. So I just scra- I just said, you know what, I'm just going to retire. We're going to get hurt if I keep pushing him. And I and at the time that the that trainer boy, she really dug into me and told me I let my team down and and said some very hurtful things from that point. That whole Cindy kind of came back to me at that point because I was like really proud of myself because I really felt like I made a very strong horsemanship decision. Yeah, you did right by the and, horse. Yeah, yes. And it kind of, and by working with this other trainer, it kind of really showed me of basically, honestly, what not to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and just through my experiences, good or bad, it's just, um, regardless of what happens everything's gonna it's always going to get better even though you think it's going to be that you're having the worst day of your life it that that time was put there for a reason correct so you know as as much as it hurts that um that cindy had passed away from a horrible accident still there there's good that came out of that because i have learned from her example of how to treat people and how not to treat people and, and um, to carry on basically some of her legacy. Yeah. And that was a reason we had previously discussed your experiences with Cindy and, and what she had meant to you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to bring it up here on this show. And, and it's for many reasons, right? And, and part of that is gratitude. And we have to understand as horsemen and women how blessed we truly are to spend any day with a horse, right? And and all the lessons and fortune that comes from it and bring up a very scary reality that I, I think a lot of people don't, don't think of is that, I mean, we're 1,000, 1,200-pound animals, and us as human beings are fractions of that, and we're, there's a lot of horsepower involved, there's a lot of athleticism involved, there's a lot of energy involved, and there's so many variables that go into working with horses and sometimes less than favorable circumstances come from it. You know, there's there's huge physical yeah. trauma. And in your case, and this is what I think is most valuable for the listeners, is that the trauma doesn't have to happen to you to have an impact, right? Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You didn't go airborne on that horse. You weren't hurt as a result of that jump, right? You were a witness to it. Mm-hmm. And you talk about 13 years down the road, right? There's still that that pain that lingers somewhere, you know? And I guess the mm-hmm. point that I'm trying to get to is that we have to touch on community, right? And pain is relative. Trauma is relative. We don't know how we're going to react until we're put in those shoes, but we have to pay attention to those around us because sometimes people are hurting, and they might not show it, right? Or sometimes they weren't directly involved with something so traumatic or painful, yet it can still have an effect on them. And and you touched on the valuable points of your experience with Cindy, right? There's a huge legacy that needs to be carried on. She taught you some very, very valuable lessons, not only in life, but in the horse business as well. And mm-hmm. you owe it to her and her life to carry those on. And 
despite how tough life gets and how painful life can be, the perspective in which we take towards a challenge really dictates how we live on in the future, right? How we grow, how we develop as a result. Yes. I always say you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That is life. Yes. That is life. No matter what you do. It's easy to run to, it's easy to run what is familiar and comfortable and what is known in our lives. Yet in looking back in my life, and I guarantee this relates to every single person listening to the show right now, you think about your more formidable moments in your life. Guarantee, guarantee it was a result of a challenge or a struggle or an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. And all of those moments are blessings if you look at it from that perspective. Some people aren't able to, right? And trauma eats them alive. But the human being is far more resilient than we give credit to. And and patience and grace are something that I think we need to pass a little bit more along sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, most definitely. And and one thing to, to touch on too is that with positive thinking, and I really, I really try to um, emphasize this with my following, whatever you think about, that's honestly going to become your reality regardless. Yeah. And and so, because if you are thinking negatively all the time, well, that's the only thing you're going to attract is negative situations or negative people that's going to be drawn to you versus if you think positively, then you're going to have that sort of a, those sort of vibes basically is going to come to you, which also comes to your, to your horse as well. And I learned that after my situation with my move, I was working with a particular horse in the round pen and the owner was out and uh, she, we were talking and she kind of looks at me and says, gosh, Lucia, your horse looks just as stressed out as you do. And I thought, what? I was really taken off by that. <laughs> I yeah. Like she saw that and I couldn't even see that myself. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, that's, that's, that's big. And it was shortly after where I really kind of in my mind mentally kind of what I had to do a long time ago after losing Cindy was kind of the, the same process. And and it, it took a, a few months to kind of get get back to where I was truly feeling um, happy and having positive thoughts and such. But the thing is, though, is everyone's going to have problems and situations come in their life. And I truly feel that every time you kind of tackle on a challenge, it gets easier and easier that when the little stuff happens, it it doesn't it doesn't really hurt you as bad necessarily. Well, and that's something that I try I mean, to I try to stress to people. You know, when we talk about stress, right? It is kind of an accumulated condition. So you're exposed to stress, you develop a little bit tolerance to it, whether you deal with it or not. You know, then a little bit more mm-hmm. stress is applied, and you get to a point in your life if you don't figure out how to metabolize that stress, where you can take on incredible amounts of stress, and that's when the the sickness and the health start to fall apart and marriages start to fall apart and alcoholism and divorce and all these these issues start to come come to sort because it is an a time accumulated condition right well the same goes for resilience 
right? When you face yes. a challenge, when you face a challenge and you find a way to overcome it, you develop a little bit of resilience. And then lo and behold, life's going to throw you something more challenging and you find a way to overcome that, you know? And over time, you can take on crazy challenges, huge, huge life-changing challenges, but you get to a point where you've developed enough resilience in your life and you tackle it head on and you know you're going to be successful. It's going to take work and it's going to be painful, but you will be successful. Yes. It's one of those things where um, um, my trainer always mentioned, she she always said, you you must enjoy the process because there is no end result. This This is the process. You're, you're never, that, that's the thing about success is there, there isn't necessarily an angle where you're going through the tunnel and you see the shiny light. You never get there. When you get there, basically that's when you're dead. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's the process of getting there and that that's life. You, you never attain the end goal. And so you have to find balance and you have to find your happiness in that the in that process yeah and that and i think that was the biggest thing um that i have learned in the in the past couple of years now being at my new facility is just is is learning how basically how to um enjoy that process and as time went on it like you said it gets easier and easier. And then there gets to a point like with myself, honestly, right now, uh, I'm searching for that next challenge. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and, and I know it's going to hit me again this year. Cause I've decided that um, ever since my eventing days, I haven't shown horses for about nine years and I honestly missed it and miss it. And I finally decided that I really want to get back into it. And so I decided, Hey, I want to start getting into the rain cow horse world to see what that's about. Hold on tight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know my challenges are coming. And so, um, yeah, I mean. That's the beauty of all of it. That's the beauty of all of it, mm -hmm. you know. And So we talked a little bit in previous conversation, you know, and you write a little bit via social media. You run your boutique online. And obviously you have your horsemanship business. Can we kind of touch on some of the places that people can find you and your products and your content? Uh, basically, you could find me on Facebook, uh, Lucia Clemenson Performance Horses. Um, and you could also find me on my website, luciaclemenson.com. And my online store, I honestly decided to start this up about not even two weeks ago. <laughs> Oh, it's sweet. something I've been. That's, it's been on my mind for over a year, and I finally decided that I was just going to make the jump for it. Yeah, yeah. And that is uh, riatarose.com, and basically, it's kind of a Western fashion-inspired online store. And so I just, I just started it, and it's um, just kind of something that um, I find joy in. And I think that and the horse stuff, it kind of goes together because it's all about self and uh, uh, self-expression style, and it and it rolls right into just the horsemanship in general. I was going to say, it sounds like you're a huge fan of punishment, being that you have a young family, you have a young business, you're running a horsemanship deal, a boutique, you're starting this rain cow horse thing, so uh, you definitely live life uncomfortable. It sounds like. Oh yeah, exactly. I, 
it's a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. Absolutely, right? Ever-changing and the, the constant pursuit of evolution. Yes. So as we get towards the end of shows, I like to give guests the opportunity to kind of share words to live by or a mantra or an experience in working with horses that, that has benefited your life. So is there an experience or is there a mentality that you take to life that you have learned as a result of horses that you think would benefit the following and the listeners of this show? I would say is uh, definitely learn to find that confidence within yourself. Uh, there's no one way to do anything in life, regardless of what it is. And I truly believe that as long as you're good in your heart, it's all going to be good with the horse. I, I, I find a lot of my clients, they, they come to my place and they're kind of nervous because they feel they're going to make a mistake. And I encourage them to make as many mistakes as possible because um, the more that that you push yourself, honestly, that's where you're going to find the confidence within yourself, in my opinion. And that's a, a very hard place to find, right? Nobody, we're not taught from the early age to seek failure, right? There's so much negative connotation nope. that is placed on it from from an early age that I lived it myself, right? The only reason I, t and I said this on the show, the only reason I was as successful as I've been in my life is because I was scared to fail flat out. I just did not want to be last. I did not want to be anything but, but great at anything that I, I was doing, whether it was school, whether it was sports, whether it was tying my shoe, whether it was a pickup basketball game, anything, you know? And it's not mm -hmm. until recently that I, I've learned this approach of seeking failure because failure is where the growth takes place, you know, and the faster you fail, the faster you learn, the faster you learn, the faster you grow. Exactly. Like uh, Eric Thomas, he's a motivational speaker. He always oh, yeah. says, just make sure every time you fall down, you fall on your back. So all you can do is look up. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very true. Very true. <laughs> well, Lucia, I thank you very much for making time for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast and I very much enjoyed the last hour or so together. We wish you the best of luck with 2019, and we know that you got more than enough. Mm -hmm. We look forward to talking to you down the road. Great. Thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.